This is my fourth year here, and I want to welcome you. This is a community for, for you, whether or not you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior or not, um, or you're not sure how you relate to Jesus, or you just think, well, this Jesus thing was all sort of made up and then blown out of proportion you know, thousands of years ago. Wherever you are on the spectrum of belief, RUF is a place you can belong because our purpose is, is to help you and serve you, know and follow Jesus. And so we're in process. We're not all there. Uh, it takes time. But my premise and our premise is that the truth of the falsehood of Jesus is simply too important to not investigate, to just simply dismiss it uh, without looking at the best sources. And the best sources are in the Bible. Um, it's, the, it's the closest we can get to Jesus. And so we go through books of the Bible at RUF every semester. And this semester we're looking at Exodus. Uh, and it is a continuation of the story that began in Genesis, uh, where God made all things, and then we sinned, and, and, and the world that was good uh, is no longer good anymore. Uh, there's good in it. We, we are in the image of God, uh, but there's a, mix, uh, a mixed bag here. There's, we experience a lot of oppression and heartache in our lives and curse. And we're going to see that firsthand today in our text, where at the very beginning of Exodus, the continuation of Genesis, We're going to see the Word of God shows us real life, um, real, very gritty circumstances where there's tough decisions to be made by ordinary, normal people like us, and it is is amazing. And so we want you to feel the safety, to ask questions today, to to hear about Jesus, and to start to try on the Christian faith. Uh, and so if you're, if you're here for the first time, we're very glad and thankful. If you're here for the second or third, fourth, fifth time and beyond, we're glad you're here. Um, so everyone, we're glad. Uh, and so whether you're devoted to Christ or you're not even sure how you got here, I, I implore you to just kind of listen to this, take it in, and think about the meaning of it. And so let's read, um, we're going to read Genesis. Our, our whole thing is called the Freedom Project this semester where we're going to look at Genesis 3.15 and how Exodus and the rest of the Bible is, an, uh, is a, an unfolding of God's plan to bring freedom to his people, the Freedom Project. So we're looking at that. Our first verse is going to be that, that verse I just mentioned, Genesis 3.15, and I'll read the whole chapter of Exodus, uh, chapter 1. So bear with me. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And moving ahead to Exodus, uh, it says, it references a bunch of people in Genesis. It says, these are the names of the son of Israel, also Jacob, um, who came up to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household. And then it lists Reuben on down to Asher in verse 4. Verse 5, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. When Joseph died and all his brothers and all of that generation... Uh, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. But all right, it says they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who still who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, "Behold, the people of Israel are too many, too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land." Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, uh, Pithom and Ramses. But uh, the more they were oppressed, 
the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So, they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter and with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named uh, Shephroth and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born of the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And that's the word of God from Exodus chapter 1. May he add his blessing to it and write eternal truths in our hearts. We're not going to read the, the, the Matthew verses that are on your handout out loud, but uh, I just want to make a comment about them. They are, uh, it's a similar situation in Jesus' time. Uh, a ruler named Herod commanded all the babies, uh, Hebrew babies, to be killed in an effort to eliminate his enemy, which would ultimately be Jesus. And so it's a very similar situation, and God spares the Redeemer in both situations. So in summary of what we just heard, uh, to catch you up here, it's a dark situation. Uh, Israel had, had really thrived in the, in the land of Egypt, and now the Pharaoh um, ha, has become a murderous, our new Pharaoh has become a murderous man who wants to eliminate his enemies or his potential enemies. He fears losing his throne, and so he has three attacks against the people. First, he tries to eliminate them by cruel slavery. Then he has midwives of the people of Israel. Uh, to, he tells them to go and kill their own babies, their own people's babies. And so the two over them, um, those women, uh, the, the chief midwives, do not execute that plan. For whatever reason, they, they, they tell the, they tell the uh, Pharaoh... They can't make it to the, to the uh, time to, to kill the baby boys uh, because the women have uh, give birth too fast for them. So that fails, and then he just says to all of his people, uh, the Egyptians, kill all the babies, throw them into the river. And that's his final solution. It's a gross, hard place to live. Uh, and we live in a world filled with injustice and attacks just like that. And the question we've got to ask ourselves today, and, and the same question they were asking themselves in that day, is how are we going to make it? How are you going to make it? And so I call this one, uh, the first, of uh, uh, we had the intro last one, we called this one, we're going to do freedom from, and then insert a word there, but our, the first one's going to be called freedom from band-aids, and we'll have a listing of freedom from whatever throughout the semester, but uh, and on and on and on, but band-aids, we call it band-aids this time. Uh, and I'll explain that while we're just calling it freedom from band-aids, that God gives us freedom from band-aids in his freedom project. Well, when my kids get a boo-boo uh, when they're little, um, I was able to kiss it and make it better. 
there's sort of magic in daddy's kisses or mama's kisses that, that the magic makes the boo-boo better. But then the magic runs out. And then the question is, what, what replaces the magic parental kiss? Answer is Band-Aids. Band-Aids. Band-Aids with princesses on them, with superheroes on them. Any kind of Band-Aids, Transformers, Frozen, Star Wars, uh, Cinderella. Those things are like gold in our house. Because if a kid has any, I mean like the worst, ba- the worst boo-boo, or the, the minorest boo-boo, if you put a Band-Aid on it, especially my daughter Grace, no matter what's ill, she believes in that Band-Aid that's going to fix her up. But Band-Aids don't really fix us up at all, do they? They just shield the wound from the harsh realities on the outside, like dirt and germs. And when somebody punches you on the boo-boo, it's a little, it's a little shield there. There's force. I believe we try to do the exact same thing as, as kids do with Band-Aids with our spiritual and emotional wounds. But our band-aids we use as college students and adults are much more subtle. And so all of us are wounded in this cursed world. Um, You may feel like, okay, when OU loses, um, you may say, well, I've got to go eat. Okay, I've got to go, or I've got to go get drunk. Or after they win, I've got to go eat. I've got to go get drunk. Um, We just have these sort of patterns of life that that are very compulsive. And maybe we're not addicts. In a, in a sense of where we feel like we're addicted to things, all of us have that sort of uh, chemistry going on in us where we're prone to these patterns to sort of deal with life. After an exam that just destroyed you, after a breakup, um, you have your set ways of sort of band-aiding that, that wound. We all have wounds, whether it's getting drunk or eating or working out or whatever it is, we have band-aids. Our band-aids might be materialism, you know, going out and shopping, buying $300 sweaters or the right t-shirts or getting new clothes and shoes, designer jeans, getting the right boyfriend and girlfriend, academic success, internships, that'll make you feel a little better, uh, getting some parental approval, <laughs> and of course getting more Instagram likes. Those are things that we enjoy. We enjoy it. Our band-aids might be being a rebel, might be getting drunk, uh, getting naked, you know, you always have that friend, right, in college? The get naked kid. Um, <laughs> there's somebody. I had a lot of uh, weird friends. But, um, <laughs> you know, keeping your purity vows you made under compulsion and guilt in seventh grade youth group, keeping those vows, but going to the very edge of those vows. You know, you can keep them, um, but you like the, the, the feeling you get. Uh, keeping the pledge, but also um, relationships. Um, perhaps our best Band-Aid for us, our most subtle one, is actually serving people and being religious. Um, we have deep hurts and shame and, and just all kinds of stuff we have to deal with. And so serving people and doing the right thing helps, helps to shield us from feeling the raw wounds that we've experienced in life. Those are Band-Aids. I don't want to remove, um, I don't want to remove Band-Aids from our lives or um, but I don't want them to function as Band-Aids. All these things we've talked about necessarily are, are, are good as God made them and in, under, under his um, direction. You know, health, <coughs> iPhones, coffee, uh, even a drink in moderation after you're 21 and legal. All good things. All good things. But they're insufficient to heal our wounds or to ultimately protect us. 
Band-Aids wear out and fall off every time. And so I don't want to just boss the stuff. I just want to get a better strategy. Uh, it's a bad strategy to, to just rely on those. And I don't want to just ask you strategy entirely. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I want to, you know, think about, you know, hey, we've got to have some kind of strategy. I mean, like, um, a recent thing in the news is these outbreaks uh, from measles because uh, People aren't uh, vaccinating their children because they're uh, afraid of autism. And so uh, if you're going to not vaccinate your children, you've got to have a backup strategy for measles and other things. There's got to be some kind of um, way of containing that, that outbreak. Uh, and so the, our big idea here today on our outline, if you get to that slide, uh, is that we're wounded and enslaved people, and we need more than Band-Aids. We need a cure we need something that's going to cure our hearts, our wounds. And so the first point is that our wounds are always a result of this mortal combat going on between the two seeds, which we saw in Genesis 3.15. There, there's the seed of the serpent, which is striking the heel of the seed of the woman, but then the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And so our wounds are always a result of that combat going on where the where the defeated seed of the serpent, or Satan, is striking. He's striking. And so going back there, the devil strikes serious blows against the seed of the woman. And you can see that most of all on the cross. Uh, at, the very, at, the, at the cross, Jesus was killed. And, and it's a, that's an extreme uh, strike against God's own son. And it looks like the, ser- the serpent or the seed of the serpent is triumphant, but there's a reversal. And Jesus returns from the dead with even more power than before. And so he crushes the head of the serpent. And so what happened in the, at the cross is a paradigm of all of history. All of history. There's this conflict, enemies at battle, and it's always going on, whether we realize it or not. One enemy wants to eliminate the offspring that's going to ultimately be his downfall. And this is sort of, if you've ever watched Lost, you know, there's the, the, the white and the, and the black uh, brothers. Um, there's the, the, the man in black and the man in white. And we don't see them later in the show, and I'm, I'm not spoiling it for you, but there's, there's, there's two, uh, two brothers in play who are at war with one another over an island. And so you see those attacks in this story. I'm going to say that that's the way to understand all of history, is there's attacks going on. Here you have a king who's worried about his own life. And so, like we said, he's, he's tried to enslave people when he can't win. He's tried to have their own people kill babies. That didn't work. And then he tries to, to have his own people throw babies into the river, the Nile. And that doesn't work either. We'll see. And you think, well, they're, they're, you know, surely this is not applicable to today. I don't live in this kind of world. I'm a student at OU. There's nothing like this happening, right? Nothing going on. Well, there's brutality all over our world. Um, in fact, last week um, in uh, the African nation of Niger, um, there were 70 churches that were burned, people were killed, and thousands of people fled for their lives. Um, those are, those, we believe those attacks were sort of related to the, to the, um, the deal uh, in Paris uh, with the magazine situation. Y'all probably heard about that in the news, you've seen it. Um, and so... That's going on. Uh, just in Houston last week, uh, there was a, um, a middle school principal named Amelda Madrano uh, suspended because she linked um, 
in an article she sent out about you know, internet safety, it linked to a Christian website in the email to the parents. And that was controversial, so they had to suspend her to kind of investigate that. So there's kind of this idea uh, of like, over, like people overreact against religion, and it's sort of awkward to talk about it. And so it's a very kind of minute uh, example, very small example, but very inconvenient for this woman, the principal. But then you've got as bad as uh, kind of the worst ones is people dying in, um, uh, for their faith and having their churches burned throughout the world today. Um, Matthew Henry um, once said, uh, y'all know who that is, uh, Matthew Henry, he's a guy who wrote Bible commentaries, he said that the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And, and I, I believe the church is really doing well uh, right now throughout the world because, in fact, there were more people killed for their faith in, in the 20th century than all the 19 previous centuries combined. Uh, throughout the world, the church is flourishing uh, because there, there is this opposition. The seed is striking against the good seed. The bad seed striking the good seed. And there's this wounding, but then out of death comes resurrection and amazing, powerful life for those there. So the second, uh, first point, all of life is understood through that, through that grid. All of our wounds are understood through that. All of our hurts are understood through that. Um, it's it's the, the bad seed striking the good seed. So second point, true freedom from wounds is not from band-aids, but it's in hoping in the seed. Um, there was a, a woman named Elizabeth Smart. Have any of y'all heard of her? Okay. She was taken as a child and uh, it, captive by, by you know, some bad guys and, and abused and, and hurt. And then eventually she was found and returned. And, in, and when she was questioned, it came out that she had many, many, many opportunities to sort of escape uh, from her captors. Have y'all heard this story? Uh, some of you have. Um, it's, it's, it's what, what you know, when, when people are talking about it on the news, some people are like, well, well she wanted sex. She wanted to be abused. She had a desire for that. <coughs> sort of, that's a pretty controversial thing to say about somebody you don't know. She said that. Or that's what people said about her. And then other people are on the other side saying, no, no, no. She had what's known as Stockholm Syndrome, which is like when you are taken captive, I mean, you're psychology people. Um, one way to sort of cope with that is to, is to in, uh, sort of capitulate to your captors for your safety sake. And so that, 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 was what, that was what they were thinking, is that in order to ingratiate herself to her captors, she did play along with them. For ultimate safety, um, have y'all seen Shawshank Redemption? Uh, you know the Morgan Freeman's character Red. Um, he talks about how you know, like if when you first get in prison, uh, everyone sort of lashes out, but then eventually you get institutionalized, and the walls become your new normal, and so you, you learn to cope as best you can inside those walls. And so, with our wounding, we know that freedom could mean death. So we can capitulate. Freedom's risky. We may have to leave things behind, pieces of us. We may die. It may kill us if, we, if we're to strive to be free from oppression. We, so we put together our own, our own Stockholm Syndrome. We are institutionalized. We put on Band-Aids and deny there's anything wrong. And that's what these, uh, these heroic women, uh, Shifra and Pua, had to deal with. They had, their, their superior was the king of Egypt, the pharaoh of Egypt. And he gave them a very 
specific task, which is to have all the babies killed, all the, all the male babies killed. And so the safe path would be to preserve their lives until, until it's all blew over. But they put themselves at risk um, by taking the difficult road of standing before a dictator uh, after failing him, and they lied to him, they disappointed him because they're unwilling to kill their own people's babies. Uh, they took a stand and they said, well, we're not going to do any Band-Aids. We're going we're gonna to rip it off and let's let, let happen what may happen. And why they do that? It says they fear God. They, they said, they're going to let Pharaoh strike our wounds if he desires, but they're going to trust God that he's actually able to set them free in a way that Pharaoh could never do. And you're like, okay, well, I don't, I don't have that, that serious of decisions to make every day of my life. I'm not, you know, standing before dictators and having to, to deny him. Uh, and so you think, well, that might sound hollow, and that's old history. Um, but uh, your, most, your most pressing concern may be how you're going to survive in general <coughs> chemistry this year, um, how you're going to get the courage to ask for the number or talk to the person that you think is cute in your econ class. Uh, that takes courage as well. Um, yeah, but, but, you know, we, we've got serious things that frighten us, and, and we are in bondage to obvious vices, non-obvious vices, and we use our Stockholm Syndrome, or our Band-Aids, to cope. These guys, these women, um, took care of pregnant women. They did normal stuff, just like we will do. We will have jobs, we have jobs, we we. You have classes. Some of the heroes of the Bible are the most unlikely, normal people you'll ever see. So many of you are going to take health care jobs. And, and so the, the, the ultimate thing here is just do the right thing, even if it means you're going to lose your job. Even if it means you may be fired, you've got to do the right thing because God is in control. He is in control over everything, even over what your boss might think or the rules might say, even if the, if the rules are wrong. Um, in the ordinary things. And so you've got no idea how important some kind of ordinary thing you're going to do will be. These women had no idea just the magnitude of what they were going to do. They saved Moses, ultimately, who's going to bring salvation to these people. Uh, people in 2,000 years later saved Jesus, who was the savior of the world, by ordinarily just bucking the trend, of bucking the ruler who is crazy. Important things happen in normal, everyday life that you do. The conversations you have. If you've, seen, if you've heard of this movie called The Boyhood, uh, it is absolutely phenomenal. I, I, I never watch new movies, but Meredith and I went and had a date night and watched a new movie called Boyhood. And it takes a boy as a five-year-old or six-year-old, and, it, and, it, and, and his parents in the movie are filmed over 13 years, okay? So, so they, do, they have a script, they do scenes, and, they, and you see this guy literally grow up before your eyes uh, from a five- to six-year-old to an 18-year-old, and he goes off to college. And it's ordinary, normal life the whole time. There's no, like, you know, soldiers being left behind, and, and then they have to fight their way out. It's, he went camping with his dad, and they talked about Star Wars. It's normal stuff. Okay, it's dealing, it's sitting around the dinner table. It's growing up stuff. Well, one time when they're doing some construction in their yard, 
a, a peripheral character that you, you see once. He has one line, and that's it. He's gone the rest of the movie, and you forget about it because it's a two-hour and 45-minute movie. About two hours and 37 minutes into it, that guy comes back in the movie. He's in a different place, and he sees this family. The boy's grown up and his mom. And he speaks to his mom and says, Hey, you believed in me in this ordinary situation and it changed my life. And it's a, it's a very profound example of the ordinary, normal stuff, the conversations you have, all that you do when it's righteous and wonderful and full of love. It has way more impact than any kind of Band-Aid could have on somebody. It transformed this guy's life. I won't tell you what, what happened, but it was extraordinary. Go watch the movie. So ordinary things bring healing and cures. Why? Because an extraordinary God's behind that. He's moving us to freedom. So the final point is that true freedom from our wounds is rooted in historic promises centered on the seed and which everyone's going to ignore. Contemporary powers are going to ignore that. But there's several examples here. And ultimately, worldly <laughs> powers are ignorant, are ignorant of history or they're sort of wildly bucking against it, especially in this story. The rich, the powerful, and the strong here are denying God, and sort of the weak are acknowledging Him, uh, which is these midwives. Exodus 1 traces us back to Jacob. Jacob was a man that God chose. He was a sinner like us. He was known for lying. That was his deal. He was a mama's boy known for lying. Um, his brother was seemingly a better option, but God went with the younger brother, chose Jacob. <clears throat> And he nicknamed him Israel, which, you know what that means? God rules, essentially. God reigns and he rules. And so the future of the story of how Israel um, is going to be um, threatened with genocide here and later with Jesus is, is that God is protecting these people because of a promise he made way back to Jacob way back to Jacob, way back to his grandfather Abraham, and way back to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. There's a promise there. God protected and brought people out of freedom from slavery. And you know, you got to note the irony here is that you know, Pharaoh has told people <laughs> to throw babies into the Nile River. And then the true authority in this world and the one who made it is going to take grown men, an army who has oppressed people, and he's going to throw the whole Egyptian army and Pharaoh into the Red Sea and drown them. The very tool that, that Pharaoh and the army is going to use against innocent people, babies, was taken and used against them. God's truly in control. And so you say, I say, I'm not strong enough. I need my Band-Aids. I need my coffee. I need my iPhones. I need, I need approval. I need you to think my, my uh, RUF ministry is amazing. Um, I need you to think I'm cool. You need the same things, right? Midwives did not have the earthly power. They didn't have the approval. Neither, um, neither did Pharaoh, though. He didn't have it. God had it. God had it. These, men, these women were commanded to kill families, they feared God, and God gave them families. So where are you in the story? Where are you in that? Are you um, Pharaoh? I see myself a lot as Pharaoh, actually. 
you might see yourself as Pharaoh. Um, you know, it, it's only God's liberating grace that I'm not as outwardly demonic, heinous as the guy in the story that we just read. Some days the only hope I have is band-aids and schemes to prop myself up, and that was that guy's only hope. If God had allowed me, it allows me to go to my end here, I'd be a terrorist, terrorist dictator killing people. Uh, we've been doing personality tests, and I have that personality type, I think. Terrorist dictator guy, okay? I could be that guy. Um, I see myself as Pharaoh on one hand. I see myself as Hebrew midwives. Do you? Can you think of courage you've had to exhibit? Uh, by God's grace, you thought, he remembers me. He will remember me. I see myself as a descendant of that list of names that we skipped over, Jacob's descendants. I'm somebody because of who, my, who I'm related to. I'm related, if I'm related to Jesus, I'm somebody, and I can have faith in him. So we're in that story. See, none of us here are totally slaves if we're, in, if we're Christians, but none of us are totally free either in Christ. The key is trusting God daily. So in conclusion here, you got all that, you know, you know band-aids in your life, and the desire for freedom, desire for a, for a cure, um, and, and we've got to desire true freedom from our Egypts. Whatever our Egypt is, whatever's oppressing us, we've got to ask God to set us free daily through the grace of Jesus. And, and, and you wonder, you know, am I a Christian? And I'm going to say the first thing to kind of know if you're trusting in Jesus is, are you desiring freedom? Are, would, would you ask him for freedom? Do you not like being in slavery to your weight, to peer pressure, to materialism? You feel like that's kind of ugly, and I don't like it, and it's dishonoring to God. I know those addictions that we have, those things, do those bother you? That's the first sort of sign that you're seeing yourself as broken and looking for a Savior. And so if you ask God to take those things away, to set you free from those, um, he can throw those things in the river. Um, those things can be thrown in the river and not you. Um, okay? Um, the big idea here is that we don't need Band-Aids to cope with reality anymore. Um, our struggle is bigger than our coping mechanisms, of course. That can't. Okay, so think about it. You have a long day. My wife and I experience this a lot. We come home. We, you know, she's been taking care of kids. I've been talking to you guys. And we get on our iPhones because we're addicted. And when we lose our iPhones, we panic. And so those things we like, those sort of safety nets we have, sort of become this all-consuming thing. And like an addiction, it takes away energy from other things. It takes away energy from our relationships. We have, we have no energy for each other because we can be wrapped up in those safety nets, those coping mechanisms. And it ultimately destroys relationship. But what gives life is freedom from the coping mechanisms. It allows us to see other people. Um, we all have a, a lot of baggage. But none of us probably has more baggage than a guy named Mr. Uh, I can't, I, I'm terrible in German, but it's uh, it's spelled H-O-E-S-S. -S. I'm going to call him Mr. Hose. Um, that's probably not how you say it, but Mr. Hose. His grandfather, this is a, a current contemporary man, his grandfather was 
the leader at Auschwitz. And you know, when, when, when I say Auschwitz, you think, dang, it's not something you want to be associated with, right? Concentration camp gassed 6,000 Jews a day. Um, when, when this guy was captured, they made him write down exactly what he did. He was unrepentant. He used pesticides in gas chambers to gas 6,000 Jews a day, and then he'd go home and kiss his family. Um, and he's unrepentant about it in his, in his biography. Um, author, an author said um, he called Rudolf Hoss one of the worst criminals of all time, and this is a man who lives in contemporary Europe. He's there. Um, the autobi- the, 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 grand, the grandfa- uh, grandson of this guy. The autobiography um, you know, says that the reasons... This is a quote from Rudolf Hose. He said, the reasons behind the extermination program seemed to me right. He he wrote also, I did not reflect on it at the time. I had been given an order, and I had to carry it out. And so um, after his being captured, Polish authorities sentenced him to death in 1947. Um, Mr. Hose um, estimates uh, that the new guy, the, the grandson, um, you know, after this, he's, you know, his name is Mud in Germany, in his home. Uh, but since then, he's sort of, he had a, a health situation where he almost died. Then he sold his business, and he is sort of independently going around and speaking to as many Holocaust survivors now as he can and asking for forgiveness, hearing their stories. Um, and he's, he says, he estimates he's contacted about 100 survivors, and 30 have agreed to meetings with him. Some at Auschwitz, they'll go to the place. Some ignore him. Many people are hostile towards him. They spit on him. Um, <coughs> they, they say, we don't talk to Nazis. And, and you know, his, his goal here, he says, isn't to make amends, which would be impossible, impossible, right? <coughs> but it's to show respect and exchange information. He estimates that he's contacted, again, 100 people. Only 30 have met with him. But his life goal is to go out there and, and have as many conversations as possible. He's, he read an article about a lady in Indiana who's a survivor, Mrs. Core, and then he emailed her. She replied courteously uh, that uh, she would meet him, and then Mr. Hose told her he wanted to hug her. That's what he told her. She, 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 uh, this woman, Mrs. Kors, had gone around you know, saying from the 80s she had, she'd forgiven uh, Nazis, and she took a lot of heat for doing that. And so her response was, good grief. You know, I said, uh, the grandson of a Nazi wants to give me a hug. You know, and so she, she says, uh, the Nazis weren't known for being good huggers, but I wanted to be diplomatic. And so she said, okay, I will hug you too. And so this man, his grandfather, was responsible for the death of her parents, her, her brothers and sisters. Uh, she had medical experiments, very heinous things done to her. She was tattooed uh, with, a, with, a, with the name A7063. And um, she met up with this guy, and they hugged. And Mr. Hose now has her number tattooed on his chest. Um, that's, that's strong. Uh, that's, that's getting out of your comfort zone, sort of trying to do the right thing and seeing reconciliation. And now he calls that woman his grandmother. Um, so uh, people give her flack about it, but she is 
sort of adopted this guy as, as her grandson. And you see, Jesus in the Bible is not about living a good life or, or living the best life for you. Uh, that's not the Bible. The Bible says all of us are bad. Um, all of us are ruined in sin. And we're all slaves. And there's an enemy who's wounding us. And so if we're honest, we've got to admit that that's really the most plausible explanation for our lives and our reality. We're being wounded. Who's doing it? It's not God. It's the enemy. And, and we need good news, which is Jesus brings us freedom. To all those who are wounded and oppressed, Jesus is the cure, and he's still setting people free. Born enemies <coughs> are practicing hugging. That's me. I suck at hugging Jesus, who set me free. I'm learning how to do it. My legacy is gas-chambering Jesus. My legacy is putting Jesus to death, and God approaches me and forgives me. I'm not a good hugger of God. I need to embrace him, though, and I need him to embrace me because I am unable to do it alone. I need him. Who, to, who can forgive me and free me from my guilt of killing his own son and then acting like it's not a big deal, that he bled for me, he died for me, uh, that I'm more, more intoxicated with who's going to win on Sunday than spending time with Jesus. Like, I care more about the Super Bowl sometimes and football than I care about the one who I sinned against who forgave me in Jesus. Uh, that's amazing. I need more than band-aids. I need the gospel to heal my wounds. And so um, I'll ask you, um, this is an invitation, is that will you believe that there is better freedom than you've ever known out there available for you? A person who can forgive you, even though you say, you don't know what I've done. Well, he does know what you've done. We've all crucified Christ. We've all our sins have done that. And he walks up to us just like Mrs. Coors and lets us awkwardly hug him. That's what we have in God. It is beautiful. It's the gospel. That story echoes it. The beautiful redemption stories echo it through our lives. And we're going to see more of it as we go through this, that God can set us free through that beautiful story. So let's, uh, 